Here's Mike Gill. As you know, I'm very close to Doug, and um, you know I've always been a big supporter of what he does. But I don't think he survives a three-win season. I don't think he survives a four-win season based now based on what I'm hearing now. That was Sal Palantonio on the Sports Bash. He doesn't think Doug Peterson survives a three-win or four-win season. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't see more than four on the schedule. I think they maybe can get one more, but I don't even think that's going to be a big possibility. They'll lose the next three, I would imagine, and then they got Dallas and Washington. I think they split with those guys. Best-case scenario, they get the four wins, and then maybe if uh, Sal's right, we might see a new head coach in the city of Philadelphia next season. Who could have ever thought that was a possibility when the coach was holding up the Lombardi Trophy driving down Broad Street just a couple of years ago? We overreacted on a Tuesday, 609-403-0973. We know the quarterback's not going anywhere. As Andrew Brandt tweeted out, still getting questions about Eagles moving on from Wentz. Again, between draft and financial capital, largest player investment in the NFL. Much more than sunk costs. Ownership, coaching, management went all in. 2022 was the earliest potential out, and even that has monumental cap consequences. So, look, the Eagles organization went all in on Carson Wentz, and that's everybody. Sal Powell said it yesterday. That's Doug Peterson, that's Howie Roseman, and that's Jeffrey Laurie. So what we saw last night, as bad as Wentz might have been, Pete Thompson, it seems that he's the one guy, and you know Jeff Laurie's not going anywhere, so it's either Peterson or Roseman at this point, man. Yeah, you were saying Peterson, and I heard when you had Sal Powell on the other day, and, and uh, yeah, that got my – I sat up like a lightning bolt in my car when I heard him say, like, I don't think he survives a three- or four-win season. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know that they get to win number four. I mean, maybe the Cowboys, maybe the Washington football team gets the win number four, but things don't look against the Packers, Saints, or Cardinals, that's for sure. And, and then the question becomes, like, look, how he got vilified last night on the broadcast. And it wasn't until this morning that my brain locked back in to say, wait a second, that Riddick guy's probably campaigning for his own GM job. So no wonder he's going to keep, uh, you know, killing Howie for all the bad decisions. But we could go through them verse by verse, but I feel like we're playing the, the broken record again. You know, uh, so maybe both of those guys are gone. Maybe Howie and Doug are gone. And, and I guess Doug today said he has no assurances that he's going to stay through the end of the season even. So, I mean, like, who, who knows what takes place? If it is Howie and it is Doug, I would imagine maybe Schwartzy as well, and you just go for a whole entire new look with things. But, uh, PT, when you watched that game yesterday, what was your biggest takeaway? So mine was, and it wasn't breaking news to me, but at the very end of the game, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I heard, how do you rebuild this franchise? Because it's broken. So I saw Carson and Jalen Hurts going in, going out. I saw a bunch of obnoxiousness on the football field. But that was my takeaway. What was yours? I mean, I thought that, you know, on a powerful Seattle offense that can move the football as dangerous as anybody, the defense held their own until they couldn't anymore. It was the offense that was the most pathetic. And that, to me, is is a variety of flavors. Uh, you know, 31 flavors, the ice cream shop, pick your flavor. Is it lack of talent? Is it quarterback play? Is it that they have the wrong people in the wrong position? Is it play calling? Is it scheming? You know, I, I mean, they are absolutely pathetic. They get up to a slow 
slow start once again, but somehow they actually managed to keep things in check. And then, you know, like a, like a bad nightmare, even when the Eagles scored right before the half, Jake Elliott misses the goddamn point after touchdown, the extra point. I mean, like, you can't even get that right. You score, and yet you're supposed to have some positive feeling, and he hooks the extra point. you got to be kidding me. So, I mean, my takeaway is is that it's a franchise that's not broken in one area. It's broken in several areas. Several areas is, is, is accurate. And uh, the biggest question, I guess, is you can't get rid of the quarterback. Are you so broken at the coach that you have to consider making a change there? And that's with your quarterback broken. That's no, you know, the fact of the matter is there's no guarantee that Carson Wentz is going to turn things around with just a quarterback change. Some people, I know Broads is one of them, think, hey, if you have a different offense in here, he probably does a better job. Uh, I'm on the other side that would say, if you can't execute the most basic of throws, how are we expecting you to, to execute a more advanced offense? Yeah, I mean, are you are you trying to say like let's use uh, Sean McVay's offense for example that you know if you instantly subbed out Doug Peterson and you put Sean McVay in would that make Carson Wentz all of a sudden an All Pro and and he's unbelievable and and the throws get more accurate? I I don't think so. I mean uh, that that's where you also have to blame Carson. I mean that's why each each overlapping part gets a piece of the blame. So to me, I don't think. I don't think there's some coach out there that's going to automatically, magically fix Carson and, and make him all of a sudden be a more accurate, stronger, better quarterback. And yes, they are missing fundamental throws. They're missing little short throws, you know, and, and, uh, and then you have guys not on the same page. I mean, that was, you know, Gil, I try to never leave a game. I try to never leave a game because my father always said, I don't care if we're getting blown out 40 to nothing. We paid a lot of money for this ticket. You're sitting your ass in that seat. And I've kept that mentality whether I'm home or whether I'm watching it on TV or whether I'm actually at the stadium. I always stay to the end. And, boy, last night when that uh, drive killer happened and Goddard and Wentz weren't on the same page, I think I tweeted this out. I said, that's it. I'm going to bed. I don't need to watch the end. I'm done. Like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Not to relive a horrendous moment by me, but if you remember, I did leave that stadium series game early, and I heard Claude Giroux's game-winning call on the radio as I was coming back from the Walt Whitman. So that does scar me. Hopefully down the road I don't make that poor decision again. But when it comes to what you were saying about if you have Sean McVay, does Carson Wentz automatically become this unbelievable quarterback again? No, I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that there's a lot of personnel issues with this team that plays a role. I just look at this, and I just feel – that everyone sucks. Really, that's just how I feel. That you can rip Carson Wentz to shreds, and you're not wrong. You can rip Doug Peterson to shreds, you're not wrong. You can rip wide receivers for not getting open. You can rip the offensive line. I mean, there's just so many horrible things that are occurring with this team that if some of that is fixed, will you see better play out of Carson Wentz? Yes, I do think that is the case. But maybe you look at it and say, if Carson Wentz plays better, then those are fixed. I, I see it the way I originally stated it, though. If some of those other areas are fixed, you're putting your quarterback in a, in a better spot to succeed, and that's the way that I look at it personally. I mean, and, and the thing that baffles me the most, Broads, is the disconnect. I mean, it'd be one thing. Like, if Richard Rodgers and Carson Wentz aren't on the same page, all right, fine. That that I understand, right? But Dallas Goddard and Carson Wentz, are, they've played together before. I mean, this, this shouldn't be confusing to them, like, which way the play's going to go. I mean, uh, that the, the self-inflicted wounds of the offense, I mean, not the least of which they start off over 5 on 
third downs until they finally got their feet under them and started moving the football with a little up-tempo. The up-tempo seemed to be working. They were 8 for 12 after they went 0 for 5 to start. So that was like some positive stuff. And then yet it's just sitting out there looming where, gee, is Sean Jeffrey going to give 100% on this ball? I'm sorry. I I tweeted this out or maybe I messaged some people last night. Sean Jeffrey is stealing money. He is stealing. He is the biggest thief in the city of Philadelphia. I mean, that guy, you know, yes, he helped them win a Super Bowl and he helped them win a Lombardi trophy and he played, he sucked it up and he played hurt. But I am sorry. This guy is stealing money and he's stealing a roster spot right now. And that pisses me off too. You know, what's interesting. You just said two things. One, uh, yes, Jeffrey doesn't seem to be, although, you know, there's a couple plays where he's open. He, he caught the pass very nicely that Jalen hurts through. He was open there, caught right? that thing very nicely. <laughs> uh, but by the way, Hurts threw it accurately to him. I mean, he threw it to yeah. him where he could catch it, and you know he didn't have to stop his route. Um, but you did say something about Wentz in that when they went up tempo, they didn't do anything crazy. They didn't do anything flashy, but the up tempo, he looked decisive. He looked quick in terms of boom, get the ball out of my hands. He did have that drive that he did look more decisive. So. The point I'm making with this whole thing is if you just have him playing with accurate, quick decisiveness, it can work. They scored a touchdown when? When he was quick, accurate, and decisive. That's when they scored. So that's been my point all along is there's plays to be made. And when Wentz made the plays, voila, they scored a touchdown. They didn't do anything bonkers. They just went a little up-tempo. So when he is making quick, accurate, decisive decisions, it can work. They just need him to do this more often. I couldn't agree more. And he did remember on that series, he also got 13 yards on the QB uh, draw, right? You know, when they ended the third down thing, they ended it by finding Miles Sanders. And even, you know, even when Wentz tries to get out of his own way, he chased down that bad snap and then threw it out of bounds, right? And, I mean, we all agree that was intentional grounding. They got away with one there. I mean, so, look, you're supposed to take breaks and capitalize on them. And like I said, they score, and then Jake Elliott misses the extra point. I mean, that, that just that sends you into halftime. If he makes the extra point, 14-7, all right, we're in this thing. Let's go in and scheme some things up and draw some things up different and figure out what we could do better. Instead, it's like, wah, 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 <laughs> but here's here's my counter to it, because this is how I see it. You're not wrong, Gil, from, for saying that when he is decisive and he is thinking quick, boom, it's working and, and the offense is moving. But if I'm a coach and I see that this is how my offense best operates, why do I never do it? You can't play, why do you you can't play up-tempo it? the whole game. I mean, You can do it a lot more, a lot more than what he does. No, I mean, there's not a team in the league that plays at that pace. Chip Kelly tried it, and it didn't work. It doesn't have I to agree. be to the Chip Kelly pace, but it could be a lot more than one or two drives in a football game. It works. This is what your quarterback is good at. Now, the rolling to the outside, people don't like to hear it, whatever. When he does it, he succeeds more. One time. I don't need it to be every play. One time a game is flat out not good enough. And for someone like yourself who claims that a handful of plays can be the difference, knowing that he's put in a better situation in those moments – Three more times could be the difference in those plays that you mentioned that can change the outcome of games, and that's where I can't stand what this coach is doing sometimes. 
How about the game plan, Hunter? Who's drawing up the game plan? If the old Bill Walsh thing was to script the first 15 plays, who the hell's writing the game plan? Is it uh, Rodney Dangerfield or Sam Kinison? Because it's a joke. I mean, these game plans are awful. You know, you sit back and you look at it. They had 6.7 first downs in the first half. 74 total yards in the first half. It took six possessions until they could get a first down, right? I mean, that's brutal. And when you think about points that they put up in the first half, they're 29th in first half scoring. They have 94 points. You got the Patriots, the Broncos, and the Jets are the only ones that have scored fewer points in the first two quarters. The Eagles are awful. 33 points on the first two possessions. How about a, here's a here's a news flash. Why don't you go out and actually have a scripted play or a scripted series that works? Go down, score, take the lead. Shocker. What would that be like? Actually play with the lead instead of ham and egg in it until now you're behind and you're always playing catch-up. That just hasn't happened this season. Nope, they got a lot of problems. The offensive line uh, is going to be uh, a big. You know, here's another thing. We I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine about this this afternoon. Okay, right now the Eagles I think are like eighth, seventh, sixth, somewhere like that in the draft. All right. Well, you're not drafting a quarterback, so being that high in the draft, what do you target at that spot? I mean, they need a wide receiver. It appears again. Do you draft a receiver in the top ten? Um, they need an offensive lineman. Do you draft an offensive lineman at number six in the draft? And you have Andre Dillard. You got Brandon Brooks coming back. You've got Lane Johnson hopefully coming back. I mean, so unless it's usually a tackle, you're not drafting a guard at number six. You're not drafting a linebacker at number six. Um, being high in the draft sounds great, but what area makes the most sense if you're in the top 10 of the draft? My gut instinct or my answer to that would be a wide out, but then I don't trust them to get it right since they keep blowing it on all the other guys. You know what I mean? Like, And even if they get the right guy, you know, or they find a hidden treasure. I mean, Travis Holcomb wasn't drafted, but he's horribly unused, right? Jalen Rager they drafted, and then the kid gets hurt, and they got bad luck. You know, I mean, like, uh, DK Metcalf, look, uh, and I couldn't believe this. You know, when you guys heard that Jim Schwartz had the cojones to go up and say, well, I was in Detroit with Megatron, and you're no Megatron. What are you, a moron? Are you trying to put bold to hell with bulletin board material? He verbally gave the guy incentive to go out and torch him. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, it does seem like that was taken out of context from what I'm hearing afterwards. There was some discussions about it. So, you know, take that for what it is. But in terms of the draft pick, uh, two things come to mind. And I don't know if they'd go down this road. And if there's a quarterback available that another team would want to jump up that much. But would you trade down for maybe another pick to acquire another pick? Or do you go outside line, uh, um, excuse me, outside corner? Uh, I I would say 100% you are fielding offers because – you're in a spot that being in the top 10, I don't know. I mean, how much do they know about and trust Andre Dillard? Or do you say, you know what, we need a left tackle. We were, Although Jordan Maialata, I mean, you got Maialata. Do you trust him enough? So are you ready to replace Lane Johnson? Are you going to draft a guy in the first round? again at tackle and say, well, I don't he's... think it's the time for linemen yet. I don't. 
but the line's so bad this year. I mean, listen to what you and, just and said. And you don't know that yeah, Wayne Johnson it, it, is going to come back at 100%. I mean, look, he obviously tried to come back several times this season and couldn't do it. Is this a career-ending injury? That uh, The nagging injuries tend to turn into uh, I-can't-be-the-same-player-again kind of injury. No, I'm with you, Gil. I am saying that the offensive line is a major issue, but that's where this roster is right now. It, it's horribly flawed, and if I look at outside corner, can, can I have something manageable when healthy with Brooks and Lane Johnson if you can rely on them? Can you salvage a season with the offensive linemen a little healthier than this season to get yourself that outside corner that you need because you know that opposite side of Slade just isn't working at all. So if healthy, can you salvage a season with the line that you have with Lane, Brandon right. Brooks, and and Dillard. Right. I mean, I, and I know the receiver class is supposed to be pretty good again. Um, Patrick Sertine is uh, the Alabama kid. He would be a guy. Uh, Farley from Virginia Tech. So there's are there are a couple corners in this draft. Micah Parsons. He's a linebacker. But I mean, do anybody do any of us here think the Eagles are going to take a linebacker in the first round? Now, if Roseman's gone, and if we all think Roseman, here's the thing. I don't think we put enough stock into this. Andy Reid built the blueprint for the Eagles on how to build their franchise. They don't draft running backs. They don't draft linebackers. They draft linemen. They don't draft wide receivers. They build on the offense and defensive line. That's how Andy Reid did it. That's how he does it in Kansas City. They don't draft wide receivers in the first round. They got Tyreek Hill in the fifth. Um you get your franchise quarterback, you build a line in front of them, and then you hope to find these other pieces. That's the blueprint the Eagles have been following here. So I don't know if that comes from Jeffrey Lurie. That's my point here. I don't know that Jeffrey Lurie's the one that says, hey, this is the way we're building this team. We're not drafting linebackers because Andy Reid said that's not what you do. You know what I mean? So the off the philosophy of this organization – is it coming from Jeff Lurie that's saying we're not going to do this because this is the way Andy would have done it? Yeah, well, and that's a problem, Mike Gill. Like, you're not going to change the owner either. You know, just like we're angry with John Middleton right now and, and the way he's running the Phillies, you sit back and, and there was, uh, you know, a huge piece about uh, Jeffrey Lurie and, and how the tenure goes as Eagles owner with uh, with his coaches. You know, I mean, Andy Reid, I think all three of us would agree, Andy Reid's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame, right? Now now that he's ended up uh, finally crossing the Rubicon and getting his Super Bowl, Andy Reid, we, we never think he's going to go down as one of the greatest coach. coaches in, in NFL history. Thank you, but that's the only coach that Lurie has hired that has broken the pattern of – you know, taking it from miserable to winning, but back to miserable again. You know, you can't, who do you put that on? Who do you put that on? Uh, the one constant then is Jeffrey Lurie is the owner. So if the owner is involved and, and he's uh, contributing to bringing in a GM that can't, I mean, are we, are we going to indict Howie and say that Howie isn't, he's a cap guy, but he's not a talent guy? Is that the way you label Howie now? Or do you label Howie as somebody that can find talent? In 2017, we were ready to give Howie his own parade down Broad Street because he found all these gems and Jay Ajayi and he found LeGarrette Blount and he, he was able to make these uh, quick moves and pick up pieces to fit. All of a sudden, Howie Roseman's an idiot and a moron? I mean, I don't know. 
Very interesting. I know uh, it's going to be debated over the last couple of weeks of this season because everybody, as each game goes, it just frustrates people more and more and more. Peter, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. We missed you at the game. Thankfully, you gave up your ticket so some worthy person could go. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was listening to you guys. You did an excellent job and uh, and uh, a nice job that they were able to play that and. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, the, the uh, number two in the whole state, Mike Gill. That that surprised me. And for the first time in a long time, a public team ended up as the number one team in the entire state of New Jersey. I was shocked by that, too. Well, Pete Thompson, uh, of course, Tuesday with Thompson. He's back for the happy hour Friday. We'll talk about the Eagles and the Packers and uh, mm-hmm. everything else that's going on. Peter, take care, my friend. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. All right, so we got all this to get into here because I think this whole – the the, the the onion, keep peeling the onion of the problems here. We just talked about it. The offensive line's a huge problem. But then we both just said you can't draft an offensive lineman in the first round. How crazy is that? Well, here's why. They actually do a good job at finding linemen in later rounds, and they actually succeed. So if you want to play your percentages here, you got to give them credit for that aspect. So can you find something in that first round that you struggle well, with with a better shot? Keep in mind, Lane Johnson... Right, they took him in the first round, number three overall. So that was in 2013. Kelsey was like a six-rounder, fifth or sixth-rounder. Brandon Brooks, they signed him as a free agent. Sayamala was a third-rounder. And Jason Peters, by the way, they got him in a trade. But Peters was like a seventh-round pick. Mayalata as well. Right. All right, we'll get more into it. Your texts continue to come in. I'm seeing them. I'm going to read them. I promise. Next, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll mix in some anytime hotline calls. Wait. ESPN. All the conversation is about Carson Wentz. You want to be a $100 million quarterback? That's what comes with it. When the team plays badly, you're expected to put them on your back. You're expected to do what Russell Wilson did after the Legion of Boom ended, and no one knew who his receivers were. And he was still leading the league in passing and dragging that team into the playoffs every single year. That's what great quarterbacks do. Great quarterbacks take mediocre football players and put their kids into private school because they make them look like stars. Tom Brady's made a career out of doing that. So did Peyton Manning. So has Russell Wilson. Carson Wentz can't do it. At least he hasn't shown he can do it at all. That was Greeny earlier today talking about Carson Wentz. All the conversation has been about Carson Wentz. And guess what? He makes the point with good reason. Because he gets paid with all these other quarterbacks we keep comparing them to. Is it fair? Should it, is it not fair to compare them uh, to the people who make similar money to you is that not a fair way uh to judge your abilities and talents i i do not think that it's a fair way personally to be honest with you because you well, know you bring up contract. andre iguodala before right? and i think that that's the perfect way to kind of look at it right but iguodala did get the criticism because he had it doesn't mean it's right McNabb got a lot of criticism i didn't think that was right um i i think McNabb deserved criticism when it was warranted because he was a he was paid like a franchise quarterback like Andre Iguodala got criticized not because people thought he stunk but because he was paid to be a better player than what his output was so you make that decision as the player as Greeny put out you want to take the hundred million dollar contract you better be ready to be judged among the hundred million dollar players 
And I think that's the problem that we're having here is we want to put the kid gloves on with Wentz is, well, he's not on the level of these other guys. Guess what? His contract says he is. And there's where we have the disconnect and the Eagles have the problem is that they felt he was on the level of those other players. They they thought he was Aaron Rodgers and uh, Russell Wilson and that level of player. And now they're finding out that he's not capable of living up to that that bar that end of the deal. And but this is where I, I disagree, though. It's like when you look at the average salary per, for these quarterbacks: Jimmy Garoppolo, twenty-eight; Jacoby Brissett, twenty-eight; Ryan Tannehill, almost thirty; Matt Ryan, thirty; Carson Wentz, thirty-two; Dak Prescott, thirty-one and a half. Yes, I understand that that's not for a million years like Carson Wentz is right now for a handful of seasons, but. It's not anything other than this is going rate for a starting quarterback in the league. It's not like he's getting paid to this level of Pat Mahomes at $45 million. He's in the the average of what starting quarterbacks get paid. It's not like he's only getting paid elite quarterback money, and, and that's where I have the disconnect. You're right. That's what quarterbacks get paid. Uh, right now, the highest-paid quarterback is Mahomes. Then Watson, then Wilson, then Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz is number eight. Um, so the guys that you mentioned, Garoppolo, I think that part of the problem with Garoppolo is you paid him a lot of money. He's not healthy, but he's not near those other guys. So yeah, yeah, but that's just what I'm. That's my point. Is neither is Jacoby Brissett, neither is Derek Carr, neither are some of these guys, and and that's just going rate right for the starting quarterback. Yeah, there's a big difference, it, though, that Jacoby Brissett is making fifteen million dollars. Carson well, Wentz it says here twenty eight. What I have in front of me says twenty eight million dollars. So maybe what I have in front of me is wrong. But that that's is, what I see. That is way off. Jacoby Brissett okay. does not make twenty eight million dollars. That's yeah. fine. I, I could be on on a. a Website that doesn't have it correctly, but I'm on overthecap.com. So, um, regardless, the, I mean, I'm just looking at the standard quarterback, starting quarterback money. It's in that 25 to 35 million dollar range. So, I don't think it's ridiculous that, like, it's not like he's getting paid only what the elite quarterbacks get paid. He's just getting paid the standard going rate for a starter. But that's, that's not accurate, though, because he's he's getting paid 32 million dollars. That's what his Correct. his contract is. Um, he's performing though at a rate of below what Daniel Jones is, and Daniel Jones gets paid six million. Justin, I mean, those guys are rookies, so that's not. Really he's on fair. rookie contract, right? Right. right. Yeah, I that's different. Once they're he gets not really paid. fair. They're not really. I just said that's not really fair. They're on rookie contracts. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, five point five million. Um. Well, he's Mitchell, a journeyman that gets paid every year at a new spot. Yeah, but he's performing better than your guy. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you got to put context here. He's a guy at the end of the road who's just signing one-year deals and kind of hanging around, being a starter, not being a starter. I'm talking about these quarterbacks like Goff, like Dak Prescott, like Ryan Tannehill, like these guys, Jared Garoppolo. Ryan Tannehill, Garoppolo, excuse me. Ryan Tannehill it, many people criticized that contract, that right, he did not deserve the contract. Rate. But that, that's, It's just going rate right, is my point once again. It's, it's going rate. Right. When you play well, Tannehill got they. He was criticized for getting that contract. People said you should have never given him that deal. But guess what? He's a top ten quarterback in the league right now. So Ryan Tannehill's return on investment. You're getting the return on investment. No one's complaining about his contract now because 
yes, when they got it, they said, what would you give him that contract for? And he's playing. He's performing. He's performing but to his contract. that my point, though, is everyone was like, why would you give him this? Well, that because that's going great for a starter. So when you look at Ryan Tannehill and what he's making, he's getting paid that because that that's what it took to sign him because that's what the NFL average is for that starting quarterback role. So Wentz is just in that same area, that same Big range Big as other quarterbacks. Well, the difference is, yes, I agree with that. But that's why he gets, the criti- that's why he gets criticized when – Kirk Cousins signed that contract. He gets blasted because nobody feels that he deserves the contract. But that's why he gets blasted, because people don't think that he deserves that money because the organization said, we need this quarterback. So they give him $40 million, you know, whatever whatever they paid. Um, he got some crazy guarantee. So the criticism comes to, Car- to Car- Cousins because – he is paid to be an upper echelon guy, and he's simply not. That's why he gets blasted. He's a good quarterback, uh, Kirk Cousins. He's average, but he is paid to be better than average. He is paid to be a top 10 player. So is Carson Wentz. Those guys are paid to be on a different level of player, whereas, you know, it's hard because a lot of these guys are not making that money. I mean, Baker Mayfield is on a rookie deal. Um, these guys are right, all so on rookie So when we see deals. these rookies get their contract, I'm curious. When Daniel Jones signs a contract, what's it going to be? What what category is he going to be in when it comes to the average? That's something that we're going to have to wait and see, and it'll be interesting to see how it lines up with other starters. You might see what Dak, what Dak Prescott's doing, though, where they do the franchise tag. You get your one year for the big obnoxious amount because you just don't know at that point. Here's a big problem. They didn't have to give Wentz the contract. That's where they're That's really true. where they're really stuck. And not only did they give it to him, they gave him more than like Ryan uh, Matt Ryan was getting paid. They gave him more than like Matt Stafford was getting paid. So it was like Sal Pal said it yesterday. It was dumb. They were negotiating against themselves. They didn't have the full resume to say so they basically paid him based on the one year that he had and said that's they said that's who we think you are and now you're really in a spot where you're paying him to be basically the only guys in the whole league to get paid more are Rodgers, Goff, Roethlisberger, Wilson, Watson, and Mahomes. That that's it. So you're going to be judged with the people that you're in that circle with. Right, like but I not. mean, there's plenty of guys right underneath of him, which is $1 million off, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, it's it's not far off from other starters in this league that are not in that elite Absolutely. category either. But here's the difference. Here's the thing, and you're right about that. And they get blasted. Like, Matt Ryan is not good enough. You paid Matt Ryan $30 million. There's a reason why your team stinks. Because well, is that really Matt Ryan, or is it the whole org? Once again, we can dive back to this team was in the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan, and he was playing at Matt Ryan is is a hell of a quarterback. When you look at his entire career, a lot of franchises would say I would absolutely take Matt Ryan's career as my starter sure. if I'm an organization. So there's a lot that goes wrong that isn't just Matt Ryan. I don't know if it's necessarily valid to blast Matt Ryan for his contract and production. Um. Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, I don't think he is an elite franchise player. I mean, put it this way. If Matt Ryan was the quarterback of this Eagles team, they'd be running away with this division right now. I don't necessarily agree with that. I would wholeheartedly say if Matt Ryan was the quarterback of this 
this year's Eagles team right now, they would be winning this division. Well, and, and you know what? Even if that is, uh, whoop de do. You got five wins instead of three. I, I mean, really. Uh, and that's the point of, uh, congrats. Where does that get you in the long run? You're still a bad football team. You're, you're a bad football team still. It doesn't mean you're good. You're well, still bad. Uh, you would be a bad football team, though, with your biggest problem not being its most important position. Now it goes back to the conversation we just had. Your line's a problem. But, yeah, you're still winning game because your quarterback's competent. But we can fix that. Now the problem is you have the most important position on your team that is causing a cloud. That's where the problem is. It doesn't matter that your point is right. Okay, you're a bad football team. But when you're a bad football team, but you at least have that, now you can start trying to fix the other problems. The problem they have is they have so much invested into their biggest problem. You can't fix the other problems. Greeny just said it. Russell Wilson carried a bad football team that nobody knew anything about. They had no receivers. Their offensive line was horrible, but he kept them relevant because they couldn't pay anybody else because all the money went to Wilson. You can't fix your other problems when your quarterback is making that much money. Sure you can. It's called drafting well, and they don't do that at all, and that's a problem. So I I think you say you can't fix the other issues until you fix Wentz. I think fixing other issues help Wentz play better. That's how I see it. And that that matters. It doesn't have to be the only way. It's like, oh, you have to have this elite quarterback and everything else falls into place. It's okay to have a quarterback that isn't at that level. Jared Goff, to me, is not at that level. But what I know is Jared Goff, surrounded with the right pieces, is a hell of a quarterback. And that's how I can see Wentz being, which is a fine spot to be at. Right, but here's the problem now. If that's your biggest problem, Goff's not their biggest problem. He might not be their best asset, but he doesn't hold them back either. So, yes, you can get by with a guy just being a good player, but when you're paying a guy to be just good and he's awful, now you have a big problem. Sure. I'm not saying that's not true. Of course it is. Carson Wentz has been playing awful, but the way I see it is if other areas are fixed around him, that will help Carson Wentz, and maybe he won't be playing as horrible, even though right now, yeah, there's plenty of mistakes on him, but there's plenty of mistakes everywhere. I think if you get things cleaned up around him, it would only make it that much easier for Wentz, where you won't be seeing this type of production out of him every single week. At least that's what I'm taking the chance willing to see. This is what I would say, though. I don't think the weapons around him are as bad as everybody's making them. I I feel that it's a convenient way to say, well, Wentz would be better if he had better weapons. They're not that good. They're not that good. The the weapons around him are not that good. I'm not saying they're that good. My point is he has won with less. He has won with less weapons. This group of guys he has now are all pros next to what he was running out there last year. So I don't think... That the weapons. Jalen Rager? I would say I'd rather have Rob Davis right now after what I've seen. Well, out of then Jaylen that Rager. shows a lack of credibility. If you want Rob Davis over Jalen Rager, that's a problem. Rob uh, Davis I mean, isn't you can even make the league. The argument that Jalen Rager has, and I was a Jalen Rager guy, he has done nothing. He's done nothing. And that's not because of Carson Wentz. It's because he's having a hard time, and that's fine. It takes a little bit of time to learn this league, but he, he credible. I mean, what has he done? He hasn't done anything. Okay. 
But that's my point. You're telling me he's not, he that Rob Davis no, is better. I'm making. All right. I'm being obviously okay, he's better so, than Rob Davis. But you get my point. All right. But so you just okay. So you're better than Rob Davis. You're better than <laughs> I don't even remember the other guy, Josh Perkins. Right. I don't know. Josh Perkins is uh, you know. Well, Josh Perkins isn't in the league right now. Well, I think he's hurt, so he's out. Rob Davis is not on a roster currently. I don't remember some of the other guys they had at the end of that year last year, but I don't think any of them are on a NFL roster. Well, it doesn't mean that you can have sustained success because you did it for four straight games at the end of last season against the worst teams in football. Just because you did it then, it doesn't mean no. that that's something you can live and I, absolutely, die Absolutely, but... You can win, and most teams in this league could win with Miles Sanders as their running back. But he, but you run, you ran the ball six times, six one in the second half. How do you do that? All Tell right. me, please explain to me. I'm just saying the talent around him is not as bad, I think, as we're trying to find excuses for him. Well, I Miles think, Sanders doesn't count because you don't use him. All right, I think Dallas Goddard is a guy that mo- would start on most teams in the league. Sure, no doubt. All right. I think that Ward would probably play on, eh, he'd probably have a role on minimally half the teams in the league. Okay, a, a role, sure, but nothing crazy. I would oh, agree. He nothing is what, crazy, a role. And he has nothing crazy. He is what he is. He is a slot receiver who catches the football and gets open. He's crafty. He gets open. He is a third receiver in this league that most teams have and succeed with. You find a third receiver in this league. How many times you watch a game and there's a guy who caught the ball and you're like, who the hell's that guy? It's Greg Ward. Every team has a Greg Ward. Just a crafty guy who finds a little gap in the zone, sits there, and expects the ball to get thrown to him accurately. That's one problem. They don't have a guy to sit there and accurately throw it. Uh, Rieger hasn't done what we had hoped for, but he's certainly better than what you had last year. He, yeah. he provides a skill set that you did not have last year. Whether you're utilizing that skill set is another thing. But just because you don't see the production, Torrey Smith didn't have a lot of catches. But his Gil, role on the team... You can't compare Jalen Rager to, to Torrey Smith. I, I can't I'm not comparing you to, them. You're I'm not comparing that. them. I'm saying, just because Rieger doesn't have a lot of catches and he's not doing things, teams have to account for his speed and say, all right, he might run past us. I don't think they do. I mean, they really don't. Like, Torrey Smith did it at a professional level of spacing the field. Jalen Rager, teams are not afraid of Jalen Rager. You bang him at the line of scrimmage, and there's no separation. I don't think it's to the degree that we want it to be. You're right. In theory, yes, I'm with you. Yeah. It just hasn't resulted in that so far this year. I don't know what to make of Fulgham, but I'll say this. He's far more productive than any of those other guys that played last year. Rob Davis, Josh Perkins, Deontay Burnett. He's far more productive than what those guys did. He was the best, most productive receiver in the league for a four-week stretch. So he's clearly better than every guy you had last but year. Think about what we're talking about. Like The fact that they were better than these undrafted practice squad guys it's not really saying much, and he hasn't been able to be a factor since. So, I mean, something – there's a reason why. Alshon playing, yes. Maybe the, the reality of the situation is also playing a role. I, I mean, the weapons are not not good enough at the NFL level. You don't use Miles Sanders, which is a problem. He's great on paper. You don't use him. You didn't use him last night. 
I mean, they don't use him. Gil, come on. Doug Peterson does not use his best weapon enough. Enough. He here's the problem. They tried to use him. He fumbled the football. Oh, stop. So you get you run you run him eight times. You well, you ran the football eight times and then you finish with a handful of runs after the game. I mean, there's no way to to maneuver around the fact that you don't use the run game enough. And I'm not demanding for it to be one of those you gotta run every play, but more than six times. Yeah, more than six times. Weapon. More than six times. Last night, six times. You could say, Yeah, I'm agreeing. They don't run them six times every week. All right, he doesn't run the ball six times week, a week. Though. It's cr- criminal. You you ask a lot of people, they use that word "criminal" the way that he's utilized. Um, they've tried to use him more, and in those games, unfortunately, he breaks down. He has to ask out of the game. I've been extremely disappointed with yes, how they've used him, but more with Sanders, the player that he can't handle the load. He fumbles the ball. He can't catch the football. So you want me to incorporate a guy into my offense more who took takes himself out because he can't handle the workload, fumbles the football, and doesn't catch the football. So, so doesn't that prove if I'm my the head coach, the, if I, the weapons aren't as good as what we thought they were. If you're naming all the flaws with so the best weapon we have. Are you saying now that you think Miles Sanders stinks? No, I am not saying that. I think he deserves way more opportunities. But I'm just l- letting you know and keeping you aware that you're coming in hot saying, Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders. Then you say, well, he can't stay out there. He's getting banged up. He can't catch the ball. Yes, there's a lot of problems with these weapons that's oh, definitely wow. playing I'm not coming in. I'm just saying Miles Sanders would start on every team in the league. Sure, no doubt about it. But he'd also get a lot more so carries my point and of, a lot more into it. The point I'm making is this whole they don't have good enough weapons this group of weapons, if they had a better guy running the offense, would be mildly successful. I'm not saying a Super Bowl team, but they would be better than three, seven, and one, and can't score ever. And that's not good enough. That's not good. Right? They're bad. That's not good enough. I know. That's not good enough. But it should. I think it outlines and highlights and bolds the main problem you have is at the most important position we want to keep making excuses and going around the circle it's not excuses though it's reasons there's a huge difference like they're actual reasons they're not like oh you know he, i'm saying he sucked he absolutely sucked but these are playing a role in the outcome it's not just we're making this up and none of it's valid like these are legitimate reasons these would why be great reasons these would be great reasons if he already didn't prove to us that those reasons didn't hold him back in the past but he overcame that those problems. You can't do that every single game and think you're going to win. This is reality. If you don't have enough, right. you're not going to win a lot in the foot in this football Fine. league. In 11 games this year, he's been the quarterback. All 11, he has been the worst quarterback on the field. Yes, he's played bad. He's All played bad. 11. So, yeah, you're right. He doesn't have it, – it's not long-term sustainable success. He's been the worst quarterback on the field for all 11 games this year. All 11. He's had the lowest QBR and the lowest rating all 11 games. So, yeah, it's not sustainable success. How about 50-50? Can you give me 50% of the games where you play well? Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that Carson Wentz has been good by any means. It's pretty damn clear I have not said that. But that doesn't mean that you can't look at everything and hold everyone accountable to why this is happening. So I do. I I hold all those guys accountable. But I hold the quarterback yeah, the I most. Well, I, I, a that's a shame. For a reason. That's a shame. Because well, no, guess I mean, what? It doesn't matter what you think about it. I think it's right. So guess what? That's what matters to me. Guess what? I think the quarterback himself would say, hold me the most accountable. Sure, sure. Darius Slay said the same thing yesterday. They all say that's called being an athlete.
All right, everybody, let's let the quarterback off the hook. We're going to start blaming Richard Rodgers. Richard Rodgers! Richard Rodgers, you're the problem on this team. It's Richard Rodgers' fault. Back with more. You're right. Four iconic programs. Staring at for the four letters on the front of their Ready for competition? It's time for five questions. Three game and left man out of five. Number five will always love you. I got five on it. Five times. Now can you think that? We'll get ready for the five to wrap it up. You know, there was a time where people accused me of being on McNabb's payroll. Oh, yeah? Those were good That's times. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Seems it. Huh? Seems it. Well, that, that I stuck up for McNabb a lot. This guy, Shut I can't. Him. I'm sorry, can't do it. That's fine. I don't. I don't defend anything he's done. I think it's been horrendous. I just think it's been bad behind him as well. All right. All right so, who's your celebrity crush? Jeez, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Okay, we can put, we can hold that one off because it is a good one. Yeah, you throw me right out under I, that one. I know. Like we we got. Uh, are you a when you go into your room, clothes on the ground? Oh, camper. I have a chair. I have a chair. You go chair. And it's funny, on Saturday, I'll clean the chair off, thinking, all right, the chair's empty, and then it's right back up to the, the chair. All right, dumbest way you've ever been injured? Like, fall down the steps? Um, That's a good one. My buddy once pushed me like in, a charity, in a charity basketball game when I was going up for a layup. I missed, like, six weeks of the baseball season. Come on. I turned my ankle. Yeah. Did you make the bucket? I don't remember. All right, we're back tomorrow. Dave Weinberg is on at uh, 620 tonight during game night. Have a great night, everybody. South Jersey's favorite sports show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill, now has a podcast. You can listen to full episodes of your favorite segments, interviews, and more. Like Football at 4, Ask Mike and Bros, and more. Whenever you want, wherever you want. Miss that big interview or reaction to breaking news? Full episodes of The Sports Bash are now available on multiple podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, and more. Just search The Sports Bash on those platforms to find the show and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. So if you can't listen live every weekday afternoon from 2 till 6 on 97.3 ESPN, now you can download and listen to the podcast of the Sports Bash.